This is producer Rachel with a warning that the pod you are about to hear contains some, as Arlo White would say, fruity language. To the pod. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's I need a hug, Boston. Do you know what FCO stands for tonight? FCO. FCO. It stands for Farewell Cup Oops. Oh, God. I need uh, to be candid. Tonight, it feels like we were coming to a wedding in Boston. And we're here for a funeral. Yeah, but Roger. Rog, this is a man with 17, with 17 passports. And, the, and he burned the British one. And, and, only one. and sadly, only one of them is Croatian. And he's devastated. <laughs> I only have one passport. I'm like happy as a clam. We're going to the third place playoff. Come on. Yeah, but all hope is dead, as we will discuss later in the <laughs> Men in Blazers show. Davo, kick us off. Oh, live from a sold out Sinclair Theatre. In, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. A locality with approximately zero crap parts. We looked for a theatre in the crap part. They said, no, there's no crap part. You can't do it. <laughs> On day 28 of World Cup Rogue Nation 2018. The final day of the World Cup. It's the Men in Blazers Across America Road Trip Podcast. It is incredible to be here with you in Boston. I love it so clean. Oh, the cradle of oh. liberty. Home of Christmas attics. I've had dreams of Boston all my life. Chinatown between the sound of the night. And we're not just here on any old day. We're here on an auspicious day because I know what you're all thinking, me too. It's only 2,467 2, days to the start of World Cup 2026. And here we are on this auspicious... Yeah, yeah, because we're here in Titletown. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Okay, it is a delight to be here in the hub. It is a town that has given the world so much that it holds dear, Rog. Do you know how much we had to pay um, Christian Pulisic to sit on that ice pop? <laughs> Boston, you've given us Ralph Waldo Emerson. <laughs> Sylvia Plath. <laughs> Donna Summer. <laughs> Manny Ramirez. That, that's an amazing back four, Rog. And what then, a back four that is. And in the midfield for your New England Revs, Cliff Bloody Cleveland. <laughs> Oh, and Barvo's Bakery, where I'm going to yes. go later. Rog, and I'm not sure you're aware of this, but there is Tell a me. rich and bold Saka, or Saka, tradition that pulses in the region's veins, starting with the legendary pioneer Billy Gonsalves, 1930s Christian Pulisic. Yeah, a son of Fall River Mass. Oh. Anyone here from Fall River? Oh, who went on to play for the Boston Wonder Workers and the Fall River Marksmen, amongst others, and, and your United States men's national team at the 1930 and 1934 World Cups. 
back in the days when we routinely qualified for the tournament. <laughs> That's before Tobago joined Trinidad, Rog. It yeah. was, those was very, bastards. very hard. Those bastards. Yeah, he led the US to the semi-finals. That was Tobago that took him over the top. He led the US to the semi-finals in 1930. Imagine the TV ratings, Rog, if that had happened today. Fox would have just blown up. I know. Rob Stone would have just like had a huge orgasm and then just, boom, spontaneously combusted. Who says that he didn't? <laughs> I love reincarnation. Yeah. By the way, I, I, I always I believe in it. I really do. Yeah. I always believe do you. Both. Do I you believe? do. I we've think... never discussed this. Of all the completely rubbish, insignificant things we've discussed on our podcast over the last eight years, yeah. we've never discussed the fact that you believe in reincarnation. I mean, you look at Rob Stone, and you can't think of like just a poor street urchin that once did incredible work for charity and then died and has been reborn as one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. You mean he was like in Newsies yeah. in the 1920s? He's like one of the Newsies. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in a little yeah. cap. Please, Mister. I mean, if Rob Stone, by the way. He's many things, but if he isn't living proof that reincarnation exists, I don't want your religion. <laughs> I want to say one more thing about the 1930 team. Why don't we celebrate their achievement more in this country? <laughs> I mean, can I just tell you, the memory of Gonsalves, who along with fellow Four River native Bert Patanood. Yeah. Can I just make one small point? What? It might be that the throwback uniforms won't look that good on anyone. Can I just tell you, those are the best uniforms we've had ever. They're very high-waisted. I know. They would look good in, like, lost feelers. By the way, Bert Patanu was the first person, you can't tell this if you're listening on the pod, but we're looking at a very kind of greased hair back kind of guy. He was the first person to invent in sports who wants the sex Bert Patanude. <laughs> These two guys are still to this day one of the greatest striking tandems the US has ever produced. And Gonsalves, I want to raise my beer to him tonight. His memory, a gentleman and a winner, and we don't say that enough in American men's soccer, a gentleman and a winner. Everywhere he went, that is the Babe Ruth of American soccer. We, we, we honour your memory here in Boston tonight. By the way, that picture's them on the steamship, literally on the steamship, heading over to the World Cup in 1930. What's so shocking? That's how you train for a bloody World Cup. <laughs> yeah, steamship. You go on yeah. the love boat. That's good. With Julie the Cruise director, and Bruce... then you wing crap. That's where Bruce Arena got it wrong. I know. <laughs> Don't get me started. Lacrosse, he knows. Soccer, not so much. Davo, keep going. I don't know where we are now. Uh, Sam and Christy Mewis! Oh, they're, they're there. Oh, they're there. Oh, the powerhouse duo out of Weymouth, Mass! <laughs> the American Benteke siblings. And get oh. ready, get ready for this. Stoke City's finest. Jeffrey Scott Cameron! <laughs> A.K.A. Attleborough, Mass's Pele. Yeah, everybody in Attleborough says that. Oh, I, I wish I had his eyebrows. Above all, Rog, Boston is home to this place. Fenway Park! The st I know what you're thinking as you look at Fenway, you're like, that is the spiritual home of Liverpool Football Club. <laughs> also, any... that, f that field has more parallel and perpendicular lines than, uh, than the one at Yankee Stadium, Rog, the NYCFC Yeah, because Fenway was made for soccer. They just play baseball there. <laughs> can I, can, are there any Liverpool fans here tonight? Can I say, in all seriousness, in the Champions League semi-final this season, when Liverpool, owned by Fenway Sports Management, played Roma, 
owned by the mighty Jim Pilotta. A proud, is that Jim? God love you. <laughs> that proud son of the north end of Boston. Jim always cheers for himself at our shows. Jim always tells us to mention Jim Pilotta so Jim can cheer yeah! himself. Like, yeah! I joke with Jim that they should have played both legs of that semi-final at the Boston Garden. It's actually an astonishing feat. And again, I want to raise my bud to it. More should be made of this, that Boston is the true epicenter of global football power. To you, Boston. Roger's running on a, uh, a... You've got two things on your platform. You've got more should be made of the 1930 World Cup. Yeah. And Boston is the true epicenter of global football power. Yeah. We know... Vote, Rog. Well, to be... I'm still in the running to be the Supreme Court Justice. Really? <laughs> yeah. Weirdly, Guilty! Weirdly. I think if... What? Uh, if, if, if Donald Trump listens to a few of our podcasts, he might not be nominating you for that position. Um, okay, to commemorate way, being here. Donald Trump's first choice for the Supreme Court was Sunil Galati. True story. <laughs> He's so good at his Instagram stories, it's amazing. To commemorate being here in your magical city, we want to bring producer Rachel to the stage to take a photo. Stand up. Let's get your buds in the air, Boston. Let's be seeing you. When I raise my bud, I want you to just shout out, Bob Cousy is a god. Right, that's it. Thanks for coming, guys. We got the yeah, photo. We got the photo. We're out of well, here. We're like Jesse Lingard. We're, we're just here. doing it for the gram. Yeah. Uh, okay, Rog. Uh, we got Rachel out. You got your Bob Cousy joke in there. But before we get this wicked ripper, say, Bob Cousy. Oh, come on, I just did my Boston that accent. That's pathetic. Rog. Bob Cousy. <laughs> okay, Rog. Before we get this wicked ripper, let's have a toast to kick this evening off. Oh, let From me read. I'm so depressed tonight, guys. It's I don't okay. know if you've noticed. No, you it's not. don't even have a British passport anymore, Rog. Yeah, it's not it's about... Okay. Can I tell you, it's not about England. It's not about Britain. It's not about my passport. It's about hope. <laughs> and all of it is, like, vanquished. But it's not. We will go on. We will go on. <laughs> let me read. And you know what? I'm done with that crap. Let me deal with this one. <laughs> let me raise my first third bird of the evening and make a toast. <laughs> to an England side who died today but not, 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 not without doing something brave and important let me take you back for a minute to 1982 an 11 year old Rog who I wouldn't have spoken to No. By the, by the way my wife wouldn't have spoken to me either <laughs> She's here, I can hear her laughter. Yeah, She's far too close to the front yeah. row for me to be enjoying this. I'm enjoying evening. it, personally. She, uh, the 1982 was the first World Cup I ever witnessed. 1978, we didn't qualify. And the <sighs> team released the single, This Time We'll Get It Right. A chirpy yet bold number, which dominated the radio airwaves, fired up 11-year-old Rod's imagination, with images that were conjured up by a chorus. Well, let's hear the beginning. Producer J-Dubs, fire her up. Such a great song. This song needs some more drum. Some more drum. We're on our way. 
Brucey, Bruce, stand up, make yourself known. Bruce Mandel's been listening to this podcast since the beginning, announced today a new USL franchise in Hartford. This is just, this is just 90 miles down the street from Boston. It's your only USL team in the area. They've got an affiliation agreement with your New England revolution. Hartford Athletic, come on, Can I tell you, 90 miles is as far as the average Russian player ran per 90 minutes in the World Cup. It's not far at all. The story, go online, read about it. The whole uh, ethos of this team, of this, uh, of this franchise, is built on development. Development of every player, development of everybody working behind the scenes, development of every groundskeeper, development of everybody working on the whole thing. It's about a development thing. It's great for the city of Hartford. This is a proud Hartford man. Well done, Brucey. We're proud of you. Really proud of you. Okay. Hartford Athletic. Okay, Rog, let's get right down to it. The football, a game that wrapped up a few hours before we took the stage and has hit you hard. Croatia 2, England 1. A semi-final. Croatian fans are in the house in their pyjamas. Had it been a Dickens novel, Rog, this would have been called A Tale of Two Halves. So true. And extra time, unfortunately. After taking the lead through a sidewinder of a free kick from Kieran Trippier. What a player in the fifth, fifth minute, Rog. Perhaps a little early. Perhaps a little early. England conceded in the 68th minute when, oh, Ivan Perisic. It was there's so many itches. It's the itchiest team of all time. Steered the ball no, past no Jordan No one has Pickford. been more excited to try and kick Carl Walker in the head. Yeah. The excruciating game bled into extra time. And in the 109th minute, shortly after being denied by another, yet another brilliant save from your boy, Jordan Pickford, Rog. <laughs> Juventus striker Mario Mandzukic punched Croatia's spot into the one-cult final, Rog, leaving England to contest for the massive third-place game. Third place is coming home. Thank World, you, sir. World Cup's over, mate. World Cup's over, guys. World Cup's over. Let's talk about the World Cup that was Rogue State 2018. Here's what I want to do. I want to take you back to happier times, which was my bedtime last night. <laughs> when everything still felt possible. Dave, how did you sleep before today's game? I had a, quite a big night last night. Uh, don't remember a lot about it, but I slept pretty well. You did. I didn't. I didn't, Dave. I've got to tell you, I have not been this overwhelmed with excitement for, for a football game, for any sporting game. And I was trying to work out why was it that my nipples were just like pulsating orbs of power. <laughs> and what I realised was, because I asked myself, I said, Rog, why are your nipples just pulsating pulses of power? And I said, Rog, it's because you have the power of hope multiplied by those open wounds of your youth Sleep is going to be an impossibility. Tonight is going to be a night of dreams of glory, but your eyes are going to be wide open. And when you do shut your eyelids, every time you shut them, all the god of sleep was going to give me was Big Sam laughing the belly laughter of a broken man. <laughs> so I stayed away. Literally, I've not slept in about four days. Because Big Sam's belly laughter is just like no bueno. And when I travelled up here today, uh -huh. here's what has been so confusing for me about watching this England team, Dave. This beautiful, beautiful, young, 
England team in this 2018 World Cup odyssey is that the notion of an England that wins, it's almost incomprehensible to me. It genuinely is. It's like, shut your eyes, try and think about the number infinity. Or the idea that space goes on forever, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> but my tiny mind, it cannot, it just can't conjure an England that wins. There was no, going into this game, I couldn't conceive of English victory. Could you before kickoff? Yes, you are such a complicated human being, Roger. <laughs> it is, I've literally been your mate for about 11, 12 years now. And you have never given one crap about England at any point, partly. And I've always thought that it's because they broke your heart when you were younger. And I always used to say, it's just because they broke your heart when you're younger. The they pain made me will go a bed away. wetter. When someone, when something and you always you denied wetter, it. You said, no, 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 no. I just don't feel English. I don't care. I don't care. I, I, could care, I care more, I care more about Lithuania than I do about, about England. And now England suddenly they have some qualities which are very English. You don't think they are English, they are. These are the qualities that won us the Battle of Britain. These are the qualities that won us the Rugby World Cup. These are the qualities that won us the Eurovision Song Contest. At least twice during my teenage years one, and one formative the, years. One of those was controversial. Buck Spears, making your mind up, look it up. It was a great song. <laughs> it was amazing. Great song, making your mind up. Oh, uh, but when Kieran Trippier did this, Dave, yeah. the Berry Beckham, this was, I mean, you can take your Eurovisions, you can take your, your <laughs> rugby, your rugby World similar. Cups, which are, again, about kicking. We won the Rugby World Cup, which you probably didn't watch. We won it by just having a Harry Kane who could just kick penalty kicks every game. And the Battle of Britain, the Battle of Britain, we won by being able to take it in the face a lot. A lot. We, we, took, the, we took it in the face a lot in that. From the Messerschmitts. Yeah, yeah, we did. We took it in the face. Yeah. So when Kiri and Trippier did this, David, I want you to watch it. Tell me what you felt. Watch this. Watch this. Astonishing. Five minutes on the clock. Let's watch it a little tiny. Look at it. It just clears that Croatian's... Oh, my God. By inches over that. Oh, my God. I tell you, it's a little... Match fixie though, the dive from the keeper. Didn't you think that at the time? It's like, oh, by the way, this is like watching a wedding video on the day you get divorced. That's how it feels to me. <laughs> Match fixie. I don't know, the goalie didn't really go for it very hard. But anyway, it was an amazing goal. It was an amazing free kick. Kieran Trippier is one of the England players who's covered himself in glory during this World Cup. To step up and do that under those conditions with that much adrenaline. He honestly hit that ball. He looked at the wall and he looked at where the tallest players were and he thought, yeah, I'm going to be having some of that. This will be taking the piss. And he put it over the tallest players in the wall. Amazing goal, amazing moment it was for like the watching, young Spurser. It was like watching an elephant flight <laughs> for me. It really was. I seen a peanut stand, heard a rubber band. I seen a needle that winked its eye. But I've been done seeing about everything when I seen Kieran Trippier let fly. I mean, when I saw that, my insides felt about the same as little Jordan Pickford when he ran around in glee in celebration on his own in the penalty area like the most athletic little hobbit in the Shire. <laughs> this wasn't just a goal to me, to be candid. I was so stressed about this game beforehand. This was like an exorcism. It was like an exorcism. 
I mean, all those years of failure, all those years of doom, all those years of self-loathing, once where there was only darkness, there was suddenly a light. There was a light, Davo. And for a second, I was like, we're going to the final. <laughs> we're going to... This is going to be like the Battle of Hastings, but this time with VAR. <laughs> and then I got panicked. Rog got panicked at the bar. I had a shot of Jägermeister to calm my nerves. What would the Battle of Hastings have been like with VAR? The same. It would have taken a long time. The same. I mean, I think Harold would have got the arrow in the eye, and, yeah. and Harold would have got... It was offside! It, it was offside! Like, Take it out of his eye! The, but the, by the way, the way this referee refereed it, oh my it would have been even worse. Yeah. But I got panicked for a second. Little Rog got ahead of himself. And yeah. I thought, crap, oh my God, if we win this World Cup, does it mean we automatically crash out at the group stage in 2022? I yeah. let myself have well, that Well, we avoided thought. that. We avoided that. But then old Rog kicked in. The old Rog, the 11-year-old Rog was like, we've got a goal. We've got a lead. We got something precious to lose. And I was overwhelmed by a sudden fear. And I was like, please, God, do not enforce Davo's rule of scoring too early it tonight. It was a little bit too early, without a doubt, even though I'm not sure you can technically score too early in a World Cup semi-final because very few teams ever come back from an early goal. Um, but England played quite well after that. England probably, in the rest of the first... Oh. It's all right, I got another one. Um, England probably... You know, should have scored again a couple of uh, a couple of times. They had a couple of good chances. Oh, they took the game by the throat. They yeah. had so many chances because they knew they were running against Dejan Lovren, which is Croatian for weeping wound. I can't believe he was still on the field, actually. Oh, God, there were chances. I mean, ever since he was a little boy, Raz Sterling has dreamed of playing in a World Cup semi-final and breaking in on goal and then inexplicably falling over. Yeah. That dream came true twice. Yeah, maybe Harry, three times. Harry Kane had the oddest of chances. The one where you have a one-on-one -on -one and fluff it twice and wheel away like Tony Stark, Sean of the Iron Man armor, hoping that if you just walk away from it all, everyone is going to blame it on Raz. <laughs> the Croatians just looked bewildered, tired. They looked old, Davo. I mean, this is the team that had gone through two penalty shootouts. They were uncalibrated in their passing. They'd lost their menace. Modric, for the first 40 minutes, he looked like in those movies where they have a coda to the movie and Brad Pitt is suddenly, his character's 80 years of age and has like got crazy prosthetics and is like, I didn't know what I didn't know when I was young. But there's witchery at work, because the odd thing about this game, the longer Croatia went on this game, the more energy they got. It was like seeing an incredible middle-aged partier who like, second wind! <laughs> I'm back, bro! Because for the first 40 minutes, they were unbelievably terrible. There were flickering signs of danger. There was like Rebic charging through. Can we say Ashley bloody Yang? Let's hear it for Ashley Yang. Because he had a play that if it was in America, this, this would be known forever as the toe. I mean, just the tiny margins. He was straining every yeah, single muscle. Tackle. One of the great tackles you will see in the crucible of pressure. At the Mr. Landon tweeted us, oh, crap, one of my favorite, uh, one of my least favorite players ever making a play where I couldn't help but stand up and applaud. <laughs> I love begrudging respect. 
And then England, after missing their chances, they started to sit so deep, David. And another thing happened, you know, having attended, this is you know, heartbreakingly for me, you went over to Russia, I didn't. This is the first World Cup you know, I've missed in a long, long time. Edward and you go, to World Cup game, hello, you go to World Cup games and you realise what that the atmosphere in the stadium is huge. And I've got to hand it to the Croatian fans. The Croatian fans got behind their team so, so hard. The Croatian players, after all of these extra time games, they just summoned something, that experience, that age. I mean, we, we love the babies. We love the English babies. We love the American babies. But experience does something to you. And lifted by the crowd, they just came alive and they came more and more and more into the game. And England started to panic. They started to sit so deep. I mean, Kyle Walker was just spent about 20 minutes just diving on grenades. There was one play where he took a, what I can only describe as a line drive to the balls. I mean, this man, he was dead. He was dead on dead. the field. He was dead. Dead. It would have killed either of us. It killed me and I was only watching. <laughs> and then a cross came back in and suddenly he was born again. Yeah. He Temporarily. Was, he was born again. It was like he, be, he could walk, he could feel his legs. He leapt up, headed the ball clear. It was like Joel Osteen had touched him. And then he just died again. Yeah, died <laughs> again. By the way, I want to say Fox, because I know you're listening to this. You kept showing the footage of Carl Walker getting a, a, an Adidas soccer ball to the testicles. English testicle destruction. It was worse than Joe Theismann's leg break for me emotionally. I just want to say that. I want to say, that is heroism, Carl Walker. True heroism, giving up your beautiful penis for our country. <laughs> your beautiful penis made of gold. And I just want to say, before we start to descend into the darkness... <laughs> I just can't believe how many times the expression beautiful penis has come up on this tour. They all got beautiful penises. There's Queen's knighthoods, which she seems to give to anyone who, like, give the Conservative Party a bit of money. They're worth shit. And there's me saying, you've got a beautiful penis made of gold, English footballers, which I hope is still worth something in our deteriorating society. What, you want a knighthood now? No, I give it back to the Queen. I don't give two craps. I want you to get one. I want Thank me you. to get one so I can give it back to the Queen right. and say, your knighthood. Okay. But <laughs> I do, I genuinely, I want so badly both to get one. But yeah. <laughs> here's the story. Giving out your beautiful penis for your country... Can I just say, heroes, and that English backline for a huge chunk of this World Cup, I want to say this before we descend into the darkness, Ashley Yang, Trippier with that strange haircut, <laughs> Kyle Bloody Walker, the unit Kyle Walker. <laughs> He's like the spider in Game of Thrones now. There will be no more Walkers of the Walker lineage. <laughs> It's funny that his partner was John Stones. It's almost ironic now. <laughs> You're taking a piss, John Stones. Um, and Harry Maguire. Slabhead! Can I just tell you, by the way, that is the most Jamie Vardy contribution to this World Cup, telling everyone that he calls Harry Maguire. Slabhead! 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 <laughs> when I think about those people, I think about Michael Singletary... Otis Wilson, Wilbur Marshall, Gary Fentick, Harry Maguire, obviously William Refrigerator Perry, Slabad. It was all just excruciating to watch this incredible bat line. Uh, 
deteriorate. And I want to also apologize to all of you here tonight. You have the word breathe tattooed on your forearm, your wrist, because today is the day that I really understood why you have it. Because there was a moment in this game where I was palpitating so wildly, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> 68th minute, David. Yeah, I thought England had coped with it well. I thought Harry Maguire had dealt with everything that came into the box. Slaphead. It, it looks like a constipated owl. Um, but he's very good at football. He dealt with everything. Carl uh, Walker, not an experienced centre-back. Um, ball comes in uh, from the right. He goes down with his head. In the Premier League, probably... Probably in the Premier League, called back. We saw uh, Phil Jones almost scored the goal of the century, the own goal of the century, when Murata had his... Foot up that high, it was called back. Um, we're looking I'm not at sure the, we're that looking that gets at the cover of a book which is coming out from uh, FSG Publishing. It's called Croatian Capoeira. Yeah. Is the best Capoeira. They knock the ball home. Even Alexi Lalas, Rog, who loves a bit of physical football, yeah. uh, thought that this was like a slightly dodgy call. But you know what? It was a goal. It was called. It was amazing desire. I think, um, I think it was low head, high foot, and in low head, high foot, High foot always wins. But the, the impact of this was that England were like a boxer that had been rocked. I mean, they were like a boxer for 25 minutes. They were like out on their feet, David. Fell you, apart. You Fell know apart. boxers. You manage boxers. Your own boxers. And Croatia were like that awful masseuse, if you've ever had a massage, where they're just like constantly working your pressure points going, how's it feel? Is it too deep, motherfucker? <laughs> they, were just, they were just moving that ball around. Sorry, this is an all-ages show. Yeah. Um, they were just moving that ball around with the menace of a gaggle of Eastern European ninjas. Everything melted, our cohesion, our shape, our belief, anything resembling composure. And, Rog, the point that you made on the Twitter is that this is where England's strengths have been youth, have been their lack of the weight of the shirt, now suddenly become the things that count against them. No experience, no leadership to go and handle the situation. And we love the babies. We love the English babies. We love the American babies. But sometimes in massive football games of international exposure, you need experience. You and need, England just had none sometimes there. Sometimes you need Joe Hart. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Yeah. The honest truth is, around this time, England was sitting so deep, I was just like, what? Is it, other than sports, that is so excruciating to watch, so just, like, oh, it just desiccated my heart, my soul, my atom, my every cell in my body, but I couldn't look away. I couldn't walk away. I, could, I had to watch. And every single male follower that I have on Twitter, when I tweeted that, was like, uh, childbirth. <laughs> and they're not right. But I was seven Budweiser's in at that point, and I was just a man screaming at the television at young footballers in the peak of their game, what are you doing? What are you doing? And that's what it felt like for England. And I felt for them, these young men, these brave young men, young, emphasis on young, who come from towns all over England, particularly the ones in the north, the hard scrabble north, who grew up watching English teams do what English teams do, which is lose, humiliate themselves, soil their pants while a nation is watching, 
And these young men in these conditions had to summon the belief, the optimism, the courage, the creativity to think differently. We're not trained to think differently in England. We're not. You, we're near MIT here, where you train people to think differently. We don't have MIT in England. We have a history of losing. And these boys had that history pressing down on their shoulders as the Croatians took strength, kept pressing on. They were relentless. I was just like begging Gareth Southgate, get on the field and call a timeout, Mo. <laughs> Come on. I mean, this is, uh, this is, as you said, it's where everything that had propelled England, their youth, their naivete, come back to haunt them. Two traits in short supply, leadership, experience, yeah, shit I, housing. Some Not friends there. who were in the stadium told me that Gareth Southgate wasn't really shown on television, but Gareth Southgate was up in the technical area for a huge part of the second game, just imploring his squad to like get in position, to move, to do things, that because they couldn't make those decisions by themselves. So that's they like Gareth Southgate being like, shit, I wish that my jacket had sleeves all of a sudden. <laughs> you can't wish that crap. Dyer and Rose gave England life in extra time, but then in a second, there was the switch off that we dreaded really since the first half. A second ball, John Stones, not alert, Mandzukic. I mean, a guy that has been, he was born in Slavonsky Broad, the crossroads of Europe. He was bred to do one thing, which was to be a sniper, an assassin, a finisher, and he made no mistake. Honestly, this looks like one of those UFC reality shows where lots of fighters are hoping to be the next great UFC warrior. And in this moment, all I could think of was Winston Churchill's quote that to, to build may have to be the slow and laborious task of years, but to destroy can be the thoughtless act of a single day, David. And that's what it was on this day. It was John Stones, a moment of... I mean, that's what John Stones Yeah, you is. live by the set piece, you die by the set piece. I know that it, it breaks your heart as a former Everton player. John Stones had something bad happen to him. I know that's, that's very tough for you. It's why you find it very difficult to draw attention to that. Croatia! Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a moment, and, uh, and that was it. And you know what? The better team won this game, without any doubt whatsoever. Without any doubt whatsoever. I did, but I want you to know, in extra time, I did. I need this to go on the record. I tried to conjure optimism, which is not within me. I no. do not have an optimistic bone in my body. My family have been chased across Eastern Europe for generations. <laughs> my head was clouded <laughs> with all the memories of past failures. Maradona humiliating us in 86. Gaza's tears. In 90, Saul Campbell's offside goal against Argentina. David Seaman's flapping, falling hands. Wayne Rooney's stamp. Steven Gerrard's general confusion and misery. <laughs> and I want to raise a beer to England because we are still the best in the world at throwing expensive lager in the air at watch parties. <laughs> They You're can right. never take that away from us. Right. We are the best in the world. You're right. No, world class, Rog. We world are. class. World class. That's our, and our failure. We're good at failure. Don't take failure away from us. There was something incredibly gratifying about this failure, ultimately. And I do want to say to the slightly menacing men and women here tonight in Croatia clown pajamas, <laughs> all credit to your country, Croatia. Yeah, How, yeah absolutely. 
Davies said the better team won. Better, the team, better won. team won. Better team won. Better team won, and what they did to get here from the, from what happened in their first game, the the guy refusing to come on who gets sent home, Vida basically spending Scotty the Pippen. entire tournament Croatian making Scotty Pippen. making pro-Ukrainian political videos to really upset the Russian fans, getting booed every time he touches the ball, like internal strife, conflict. Vida, who is like the Croatian Joe Dirt. Penalty. <laughs> Penalty shootout victories are come from behind. I think he's win. an ice dragon. He's like a white walker who's really good at football. He's got a ponytail, Rog. A come from behind victory in a World Cup semi-final. That I takes, wish I had a ponytail. That takes... I want to say, Croatia, the masters of extra time in this tournament. You are a tenacious footballing side. You are mentally strong. You are so talented and cunning in that midfield. I mean, it's like that UMass... Treviso and Padilla, that backcourt. I mean, just like, from a tiny country, an incredible duo, Rakitic and Modric, coming through, charming a tournament. It's amazing to see. Yeah, you kind of do sit up with some shithousery. I respect shithousery. It's an incredible feat to make the World Cup final with a population of 4.1 million people. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. 4.1 million people. I know you're all clapping, knowing that it's the same size as Oregon, which would make Croatia the 27th biggest state in America. And before English listeners are like, oh my God, America is so crap at football, Croatia is half the size of London. And it's even more of an achievement when you realize that of those 4.1 million people, one of them is Dejan Lovren. Yeah! <laughs> Eulogize England, David. Uh, this was a great World Cup for England. If you'd have told me, if I'd have fallen asleep uh, before the World Cup final, I'd have woken up and we'd have made the third place playoff, which I found out when I landed at uh, the airport in Bedford, Massachusetts this afternoon, uh, I would have been completely made up. This has been an amazing World Cup. This has given us belief again in England. This isn't a fluke. This has come from successive international tournaments where England at every single youth level has achieved the St. George's Park experiment, Gareth Southgate as manager, a bunch of young England players uh, in this tournament who just love playing with each other, love playing football, played some great football. A lot of young England players, Ryan Sessegnon, Jaden Sancho, waiting in the wings, thank you, to go and like, to go and take these places. I think this is a very, very good tournament for England. <laughs> yeah, Hib Hibbo's done, Rog. A very, very, uh, a very, very um, auspicious tournament for England. I think this is an England squad that will go from here and will achieve. I think they're going to look good uh, in the Euros with 748 teams in it, including like Herzegovina have qualified, which I don't really understand. I think uh, North Dakota's the in the Euros. Yeah, exactly. So I think that it's going to be very good for English football. And it's united the country at a point where England, Britain have some serious, serious problems going on. And uh, it's just been great. This has been amazing. I'm proud of the boys. <laughs> proud of the boys. And now their watch has ended. <laughs> I'll say, Valamar Gullis to the young men of England. It was emotionally shattering for me to watch their demise. 
They beat more teams in knockout play than they have in the past five World Cups combined. Amazing. And the sad truth is, for me, what you just said, their joyous, optimistic, gorgeous football that even made me believe, and I'm a horrible person, was played at a time when the geopolitical reality of Brexit and the government collapsing and the chaos in the country was playing out on England's front pages. The chaos. Well, on the back pages, the sports pages, we had this. We had, we had joyous, young, smart, savvy, intelligent, wonderful footballers just as the sole uniting force for a brief, fleeting, illusory moment. Now that's gone. And Donald Trump arrives in England tomorrow. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? I, I, I'm thrilled for the kids. I really am. I'm thrilled for all the children. Your son, George, my son, Oz, our youngest, who are so young that their first World Cup memory and thousands more like them across America, millions more like them in England, their first World Cup memory was 2018. And they only know in England that believes it can win. That's just an amazing idea, David. An amazing, it's an amazing idea. No, I left. In, when I left to go to the airport, my son was in the garden, literally hitting free kicks, pretending he was Kieran Trippier against his cousin and knocking them into the goal again and again and again. He didn't even stay to watch the end of the game. He just wanted to be Kieran Trippier hitting that free kick. And I hope that that is the legacy of the 2018 World Cup in England and in the United States. I mean, I'm going to give the last word to a GFOP at Philip S. Emery who tweeted, this is the first World Cup in my lifetime that was better for having an England in it. Yeah. <laughs> and at the very end, the English fans serenaded their team with don't look back in anger which I think might be J-Dub's first dance at his wedding. <laughs> My soul slides away, but don't look back in anger. Don't look back in anger, I heard you say. A, an anthem for an English team that depart with dignity. And that, in, it, to me, is glory. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. And in doing so, I want to raise my beer to an England squad that gave the entire nation an incredible month. They've created memories that will never be forgotten of joy, of wonder, and a fleeting, ultimately illusory sense that everything was possible to England. Just, my mind is so blown that you're more emotional about England losing than I am. I just, it, nothing, I literally cannot compute that fact based on 10 years of friendship. Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure it out somehow. Right now, the world needs hope, and I will cling on to that thing wherever the hell I can find it to be candid. I'd find it more To Croatia! <laughs> find it more rational if you were eulogizing the Klingons. Honestly, it would just be there. Anyway. Oh, my God, the Klingons' funeral was just had me <laughs> messed up in tears. I can't tell you. Okay. Rog, the team that Croatia will lose to in the final, La France. <laughs> Didier Deschamps and co saw off Belgique yesterday in a breathless game of football, 1-0 in Saint-Petersburg. The game's lone goal came from a stonking 51st-minute Samuel Umtiti, 
header. Uh, that is French for Harry Maguire. France advanced to the World Cup final for the first time since 2006, Rog. Are there any French people here? No, if you're no, a French... an Arsenal fan, is the same thing. If you're, a... <laughs> if you're a French, you would have said we. Oui. That was a trick. We're going to shoot you. <laughs> I just want to say the following. French glory is the last thing that an English person gives up when they become an American. I, I find it, it's the last vestige of my English identity. I hate watching French glory still to this day. And I know the French like Lafayette helped us win uh, independence and all that shit. And I'm meant to like, like it. <laughs> I still, watching happy French people in moments of victory, it just makes me puke still. <laughs> I probably will to my dying day. I can be truly, truly American like Kenny Powers and still wish disaster on uh, the French nation, prefacing it because it was very hard for me to watch this game. What uh, GFOP Bryce Kirschenbaum termed the Pomfret Derby. <laughs> what I prefer to think of, because I'm trying to be optimistic and positive, it was a Premier League All-Star game, Dave. It was it really a Premier was. League All-Star game. I mean, look, we spoke about it in our last live show. Neither, neither team, neither nation covered themselves in glory in World War II, to say the least. But... In, in footballing terms, a lot, a lot, the French actually fought a little bit. And, and, to, and to give Belgians are like, very Yeah, quickly. but to, to be fair to Belgium, are there any Belgians here? Yeah. Wow, God. In, in Belgium, you didn't have Roberto Martinez overseeing your military forces in World War II. Yeah. If you had, they would have just attacked the hell out of them and just, like, gone for it. Machine guns, we're going to charge into you, mother. Yeah. God love you. I love the Belgium side. I adored them. And this game was like hammer and tongs. It was like a heavyweight title battle. It really was. It was like watching a Belgian alley fight a French Frasier. Super Bowl 25, Giants-Bills, with Angolo as, like, the French Phil Sims. And, I mean, I've got to say this about this game. It's rare when you look at the lineups on paper, dual-studded lineups, that these players play to form on the field. It was up there for me with the Germany-Italy 2006 semi-final. Players all excelling with every sinew from 1 to 11 before our eyes. It was like the best game of EA Sports FIFA I've ever bloody seen, yeah. David. Yeah, Certainly, the, for the first 30 minutes, it was. it was. And then it descended into just, like, rock'em, sock'em robots for me. But it was... I love rock'em, sock'em robots. I know, you love it. You love it. The, the Fellaini version, with more hair. <laughs> but it was, um, it was amazing. These teams both went for it heavily, and ultimately you saw some of those, oh, those big stars of France those big stars of France put it together. You also saw the Belgian Azard flaming Pavard because Pavard is Cockney roaming slant for Azard. You had Mbappe just charging up the flank. You had Giroud working so hard to keep France off the scoreboard. <laughs> I mean, I've got to say, at times I thought this whole game was just a surreal dance-off, a mortal yet surreal nihilistic dance-off between Lukaku and Giroud to keep the game goalless. And then, fittingly, in a World Cup of set pieces, this happened. No one claps for French goals in Boston. That was, that was like, that was like um, um Titty treating Fellini 
like Tracy McGrady treated a Belgian Sean Bradley. I mean, that was a, that was a posterizing, a footballing posterizing, David. Yeah, no, an amazing, amazing goal. Yet another header in the World Cup uh, of headers uh, or high-booted goals uh, <laughs> taking headers. But it was another amazing goal, and it changed everything. Suddenly, the complexion of the entire game changed. It was. Belgium had to get back into it. They just charged forward, tried to drop that ball onto Fellaini's iron curls. France coiled to counter. Flicks, tricks, incision, Mbappe. Oh, my God, divine. Griezmann, orgasmic. And Giroud, who just trotted round in a pool of his own bleeding self-confidence. So handsome, yet so insecure. Well, it's like watching a French Kevin Love. I mean, this is my favorite image of the World Cup. Look at it. <laughs> I call this, I got, and I won't have this painted in oils, by the way, if any of you are artists. I call this, and we'll post this, pod listeners, if you don't see this, we'll post this on Twitter. This I entitle, Olivier Giroud is entrapped inside a glass case of emotion. But, Rog, France had three players who were head and shoulders above everybody else on the pitch, and those three players were in Golo Kante. God love that human being. He's like the Ark of the Covenant. Whoever carries him wins. But Belgium also have jewels. They have so many, and their customary signatures were not to be seen in crunch time here. Azard, his dribbles were off. KDB, shot uncalibrated. Fellaini's elbows, not even able to get close to his opponent's chins. He hadn't sharpened them before the game, Rog. I mean, you compare yesterday's performance to the Brazil game, where each one of those legends were on peak form. And ultimately, that was the difference in this Belgium-France game. Closest they came when the ball was floated, beautifully driven by KDB, within inches of Lukaku. Lukaku? Yeah. That's, the, that's me drinking, me miserable, and also Lukaku's brother, Lukaku, who didn't make the squad. Lukaku, who just, like, whiffed like an enormous polyglot one day. And that was that. Farewell, Belgium. Farewell, Roberto Martinez. <sighs> Look at him. The world is deprived of what it wanted, which was its first ever World Cup bald-winning manager, Pep Guardiola style. And the question is, what do you think he'll do next, David? I think he's got to worry. His head is literally shrinking into his suit. He has the, the smallest head of any man I've ever seen there. I don't know. I know you keep on saying Roberto Martinez for USA manager. I'm let's, just not... Let, let, I'm let, not sure. I'm not sure crowd. I buy that. Let me ask the crowd. Let me ask the crowd. If you want... Because, by the way, Senator Galati listens to Men in Blazers. He still makes the decisions. He does? Yeah. He's on Insta stories there, making decisions. <laughs> If you would like Roberto Martinez, cheer yes. If you would not like Roberto Martinez to be the next US manager, cheer remember Everton. <laughs> Dave Saracan it is. Abarade, as they say in Walloon. Can I just say, 
When I saw this photo of this Belgian fan with his face paint, just like sadly clapping as the seconds ticked away, I just wondered what must he have felt like when he was back in his little Russian tiny Airbnb, <laughs> trying to wash that face paint off in the impossibly small sink. <laughs> and he has to wander around like Moscow today with still the yellow. I just love the fact he's got the Belgian Air Force logo on his forearms, which is literally the only place where the Belgian Air Force logo is seen, because they don't have an Air Force! Oh, mate, those are meant to be breasts. He's trying to say I'm a breast, man. It's an area of Belgium, don't worry. France... <laughs> That's an inside it joke is. for it Belgian is. listeners. They are. <laughs> We're going to fuck you so hard in that third-place game, bro. Sorry, it's an all-ages joke. Yeah. Sorry, guys. We're going to take them. We're going to take them. Our reserves are going to take their reserves. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this we lost time, to you. This to the avenge more, the last time our reserves lost to their reserves. We're going to release a single first. Yeah. We are Gareth 22, <laughs> no, 11. With the 11 reserves he didn't play. Yeah. He's going to play Jags. He's going to play Jags in the back. It's yeah. going to be great. Um, Hibs. France. France, Hippo. Hippo should have been playing today, bro. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, La France. La France. They look good. They're the favourites to win the World Cup, Rog. Yeah. Deal with it. They're going to win the bloody World Cup. They are. I mean, French glory is so hard to stomach. As an Englishman, even though I'm now American, I detest their happiness. I really, really do. Credit where credit is due. This was the best France performance since French Montana. It's my worst joke. I did it in the previous. Um, to hold that Belgium team so ripe, so potent, and just shut them out. The Belgians, they weren't impressed. Azard said, I prefer to lose with Belgium than win with France. That's just like someone who's got a contract with Real Madrid talking, bro. Um, Courtois said after the game, Davo, that this was French anti-football. And I need to ask you, was it? No. No, not at all. I don't think the word that, is I, no. No, I just, I loathe this whole thing. And, you know, Mourinho used to do it. Everybody does it about like, oh, this is 19th century football. This wasn't real football. The object of the game is to score more goals than your opponent. France scored a goal. Belgium didn't. France goes through to the World Cup final. And Courtois with his long arms and his Inspector Gadget stuff and his <laughs> threats to tall. leave Chelsea He's from Madrid. He can just go. He's fine. It's like... France won it fair and square. They to, were the better team. To me, the grand irony of World Cup 2018, which has been an optimistic, ambitious, positive attacking tournament, is that it is most probably going to be won by the single team that decided to play robust defence first and foremost, that knew that in baseball, pitching and defence wins championships. And to me, Didier Deschamps, the manager, has shown with this young squad, it's incredibly young, and it is so offensive, it's so packed with potency. Mbappe, Griezmann, Pogba, Giroud. Um, but he's turned them into a team of caution first, risk averse, confident in its muscle to snuff all opponents out. And we should Pog credit Pogba, who's played pretty well in this tournament. Uh, to those who say that Pogba can't take instruction, that Pogba can't be managed, Pogba has played very, very well in this Pogba World Cup. Pogba can take instruction. He can't be given instructions. He can't be both uh, yeah. the guy that shields the defence and shuttles the ball forward and the guy that does the flicks, the tricks on offence and then scores the wonder goals and also 
does the seller, I mean, in, with the French team, he's one of many. His role is clearly defined. There's incredible footballers playing around him. He knows what he has to do. When he doesn't have to do it all, no man can do it all. He's been outstanding yeah. in this World Cup. In this, He's a Scotty Pippin, where he knows what he needs to do. And there's other Michael Jordans. And to me, the Michael Jordan on this French team, I mean, there's Matuidi beside him. But most of all, the Michael Jordan, and I've come to realise this watching this World Cup, is N'Golo Kante. Yeah. It's coined the old Leicester joke. Sean of the, like, deflector shields on the USS Enterprise, I can't think of a more potent thing that I've ever seen with my own eyes. No. He's like, it's generally, every single team he has played on wins. The guy is a winner. As I said earlier, he's like the Ark of the Covenant. Whoever carries him is destined for glory. America, remember that. Get hold of that mother, whoever is going to manage them next. And the most astonishing thing from an American perspective, which is my last word on the French team, he's just five foot five. He is the player, the single player that both wins things at the highest level and equally important from our own selfish American perspective belies the myth that if only the best American athletes played soccer, to be candid. We need more N'Golo Cantes. We need more brains. We need more soccer players, more elite soccer players, elite soccer minds. We don't need the M The NBA players can thrive playing the NBA. We don't need to bring them over to N'Golo Cante, French glory, and please God, future yeah. American glory. Bring us your smalls. Bring us your smalls. Muggsy Bogues, paging Muggsy Bogues. Okay. Part of Men in Blazers across America is celebrating what's happening at the World Cup in Russia, the country that has repatriated Rob Stone and is going to move him into an apartment with Ed Snowden. Truth. Facts. <laughs> One bed, head to toe. <laughs> the other part of our talk is an ongoing examination of the distinct, diverse, authentic football cultures here in the United States of America. It's been my favourite part this whole experience just going from west to east and exploring what needs to happen so that we can make sure that our US men defend their World Cup title on home turf in 2026. That was pathetic. And in the other NAFTA territories. They're all going to be part of America by 2026. Yeah. To that end, we are delighted to bring to the stage a U.S. soccer legend, a Premier League legend, Rog. A powerful Bill. That too. He's one of the finest goalkeepers in American history, a veteran of three World Cup squads and one Olympics. He has 82 caps and almost 700 club appearances for Galatasaray, Columbus Crew, Liverpool, Blackburn, Aston Villa and Spurs. Can I stop it here? Can you guess who this is? I tell you, it's not Hugo Lloris. He's the only man in US football who's experienced enough to have been alive when Demarcus Beasley was bomb Itsford. Let's welcome to the stage the manager of your New England Revolution, Mr. Bradley Friedel. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land 
My new karaoke go-to song, Rod. Oh, Dave, I recorded that single in 1973, <laughs> and it's since been downloaded 27 million times on Spotify. Although we should have actually had his Brad's walk on music. Brad all over, Elin. Brad, Brad all, all over, feeling. Yeah, oh, it's amazing to have you here. Like Jordan Pickford, but tall <laughs> and with a better haircut. You're an intense competitor. You're a proud American. What has it been like for you, Brad Friedel, truly, 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 to watch a World Cup without America in it? How has that felt for you? Um, it's not nice. When, uh, when the United States didn't qualify, I don't think uh, that was a positive for anybody in the country. I think the only thing it did do was Carlos spark... Carlos what... It's good for him. Sorry, U.S. soccer president, Carlos Cadera. Let's hear it him. <laughs> He got two votes in Boston. Keep going, Brad. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think it, what it did do, it allowed uh, everyone to spark a lot of debate about what the opinions were. Um, I think a lot of the uh, opinions, um, especially on the youth development side of things, were, were misguided. I think a lot of people thought that the United States Soccer Federation's job is to develop players, and that's not United States Soccer Federation's job. That's the job of MLS clubs, it's the job of USL clubs, it's the job of NASL clubs. Um, we have the kids more times in a year. When I work with the United States Soccer Federation, we only had some of the kids 50 to 60 times a year. Um, so we need to develop them and mold them into international players, but their day-to-day -to, -day, to make them better, to make them hungry, to make them true professionals, that's the, uh, the club jobs uh, you know, onus. So now that I'm in a job with yeah. New England Revolution. A lot of that lies on myself and the staff and the academy. I hope you're listening to this, Bruce. Yeah, it's your fault, Bruce. Trinidad and Tobago was your fault, dude. I have... <laughs> well, the next one will be. I have a frozen memory of you at BlazerCon in 2015. I was watching from the back of the room as you were on a panel about oh, the future. How is it up here, by the about way? The what have you guys been doing? It's like Rogers has been drinking a lot. Okay. Um... I was at the back of the room, you were on a panel about American soccer. It was you, it was Alexi, it was John Strong. Somebody else was on that panel, I can't remember who it was. Well, if Alexi was on that, I must have been opinionated about something. Oh, yeah, you were. No, you and Alexi were going at each other because Alexi was being very, very positive about American chances going forward in the next few years and the players we had and who we had and where it was going. And you made a point, and it was like, it hit me so hard. It came, you had to put it in context. Yeah. Alexi said, if the US fail to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. He said, I'll give you one of my testicles. And then Brad, <laughs> and then Brad said, what? What was it? Brad said, what? I no, got my kids here. Yeah, I know. I know. Rog, he's incorrigible. I apologize, Brad. Uh, Alexi no, Alexi was testicles. being very bullish about the future of American soccer, and it was playing to the crowd, and the crowd were all getting very excited about, like, yes, we're USA. There's no reason why we can't go and win one of these tournaments. And you said, wait a minute, guys. I've been playing in the Premier League for years and years, and I've played behind some really, really great players. We don't have a single player in the US who's as good as Moussa Dembele. And by the way, there are about 17 Moussa Dembele's in the English Premier League. We don't have a single player that good. And do you feel that that is starting to change right now? Do you think that we're starting to see the progress and the development of these players who are good enough to truly take the US to the world stage? Yeah, I think a little bit of my point was, um, and 
anyone who's listened to Alexei, who's, by the way, a very, very good friend of mine, um, he likes to play to the crowds, and he likes to um, rile some people up, and he riled me up that day. So yeah. I thought... Uh, That's his job. I thought I should speak some facts of, of where we were. But that didn't mean to say that I thought everything was in a, in a bad state in U.S. soccer. As a matter of fact, and I know we spoke off stage about this, um, there's a, we have a couple of wonderful players, actually more than a couple of wonderful players. And we had the best two-and-a-half-year cycle with the youth national team um, prior to this that's run by Tab Ramos that U.S. soccer has ever had. Um, we have players like a, like a Tyler Adams. We have players like a Weston McKinney. Weston McKinney is going to be one of the world's very, very, very best players. He just needs a couple more years. He's at Schalke now. They'll be in the Champions League next year. I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to be the captain of Schalke in years to come. He is truly a wonderful, wonderful talent and a wonderful kid. Hard worker, very humble. Um, when I was at, at Tottenham coaching in the academy there, he probably would have been ta uh, captain of the under-18 team that huh. we had there. And at Tottenham, it's a conveyor belt of youth talent with John, yes, Mac, uh, John McDermott there. And it... Um, He's just a wonderful talent. Cameron Carter-Vickers, very good. Matt Miazga, very good. DeAndre Yedlin, now that he's getting more games uh, over in Europe, is, uh, is doing very well. Josh Sargent is an outstanding young talent. We have a few young uh, goalkeepers scattered around, both in the United States and also in, in Europe. And we just have uh, Chris, and Christian Pulisic, as uh, everybody knows, is, uh, is an outstanding player. We, we have the makings of a very talented, very exciting, very attack-minded uh, team. You have to sprinkle that in with some experience, of course. Yeah. Um, do I think uh, 2008 and not qualifying for the World Cup was a mistake? Results speak for themselves, so it's no mistake. Um, but we do have some very good players in this country. Well, where are we, though? Where are we? I mean, watching this World Cup and what we've lived from a footballing perspective, which has been so remarkable, dramatic, heart-pumping, wonderful... In terms of the quality we've seen, where does the U.S. kind of stack out? Where does it rate? How far behind, say, the, the Colombias, the Japans, the Denmarks? Where are we? Well, one, one thing I don't think you can do, I don't think you can compare the United States to a performance of a Costa Rica or a Panama or something of this nature in a World Cup. I don't think that's fair to do. Um, where we are, we really are going to have to see after Ernie Stewart hires the new coach and then after we see what the new coach is going to do and which players he, he brings in and how, uh, how they uh, go out in a formation and which players he really wants to call in to get ready for the next, uh, for the next qualification phase. Um, do I think that uh, we are going to be able to beat Brazil nine out of 10 times? No. Do I think that we're far better than not qualifying for the World Cup? Absolutely. Do I think by the time the World Cup comes here, we'll be competitive? Um, uh, to possibly go into the uh, quarterfinals, semifinals, and who knows? Yes, I do. I, I think we do because we do have a, a lot of good players. And you saw what happened with Russia. Yeah. You, you saw what happened with Russia, and you get the you get the country behind you, and you play a lot of uh, uh, in a lot of venues where it's going to be uh, your home home fans behind you. I think you have you have an opportunity. Um, but I think the thing that's most important is that the entire the entire MLS and everyone that is developing these these players stays focused at the task at hand, and we have to develop professional players. We're not here to develop college players. We're not here to develop the recreational leagues. We're here to develop professional players, and we have to keep hiring people that have seen it and seen it and seen what it looks like from the player that's 10 years old up to when they're 18 and they're getting their debuts or 16 or 17, if you're the exceptional talents like a, like a Rooney, Michael Owens, these types of players along the way. And then when you've seen that, 
um, and then you know how to coach it, you know how to implement it, then we'll start to get somewhere. And then the, the other thing that we have to try to attack in this country is the culture. Uh, you know, from, the other, from other countries, the kids are born wanting only to be professional soccer players. There's a lot of other sports here, and there's a lot of other opportunities in general in the United States. That's a good thing in life, but to get really hungry uh, soccer players playing against nations where your, your option is living on the street or making a living and supporting your entire family, we have to figure out a way to, to find those no, hungry we, kids. We've put that on this tour, perhaps rather inelegantly, as we've got to get, we can't just have our best middle class kids going against the best working class kids from around the world. We've got to get our best working class kids playing soccer in this country and playing soccer at the elite league level against the best working class kids in the world. I mean, America is a richer country. We have a larger middle class, but we need to get those players who aren't currently choosing to play soccer. And the other element we want to know is, it's not just the players, it's also the coaches. I mean, you just become an MLS coach. I've got to say, from watching it, it's been one of the delights of the year for me, watching you take yeah. the sideline. Such a... And I'll say also, to be candid, it's not a surprise to me that you are such a high-impact instant coach. I mean, you have been coached by some of the greats. Julier twice at Liverpool and Aston Villa, Martin O'Neill, Mauricio Pochettino at Spurs, who you spent a lot of time with, player to coach, but also as a future coach, speaking to a, a remarkable coach. Honestly, how do you assess the quality of coaching in the United States en masse and how it compares to Europe, Brad? I think the quality of coaching in the States is on the same trajectory as the sport in the country. It's on, it's on the rise. You have to start somewhere. I mean, up until maybe uh, three years ago, the coaching licenses here were a couple of weeks. Um, the coaching scenario that I had to go through took me five and a half years to get my UEFA Pro license. Over here, you could get your USSFA license in, in, in short succession. It's like They're becoming now a life minister so you can do weddings. <laughs> You always simplify things so well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <All right>. yeah. <laughs> it's called reductive, <laughs> is what it is. By the way, yeah. I can do weddings, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, so now we do have, um, we do have coaching instruction, uh, instructors that were brought over from, from Holland. There is a much more stringent course. You have to get your pro license. I think it's very important now that MLS uh, and USL, for instance, set those standards and make sure that the coaches all have their license. I'm not saying that if you have your badge, you're automatically a good coach, but what it does do, it weeds out the serious ones from the non-serious ones. If, you, if you're good under your pro license, that means you're actually employed by a professional club. And, and it, does, it, it does separate the ones that are serious in the profession and the ones that, uh, that are not. So we're starting, and there are a, a lot of very good coaches in the United States now. I don't think you can say that uh, there are as many if you went over into Germany or England, but we don't have the, the years of tradition behind us yet. But, but we'll the get there. The next US men's national team coach, does it need to be an American, option A, or a European, option le B? Leading, objection, leading the witness. <laughs> Overruled. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. I'm asking you. I think it should be an American. I think... Oh. I, I think um, any national team coach from any country should uh, be from that country. That's just my firm belief. Should be American. <laughs> I'm American, guys. Yeah. 
Okay. No, 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 no. I can do weddings. And I'm good with, at lacrosse. With, with all due respect, not you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So we're interested in youth development uh, on Men and Blazers. England prospered at this World Cup because of a new generation of young talent who, frankly, had been forged. Their, their, their major tournament experience was forged at major international youth tournaments, and they had international youth tournament success uh, all over the world over the last 10 years. Um, they played the babies in this World Cup. You were at Tottenham, the team who had more talent in these semifinals than any other uh, team. What have you seen the academy at Tottenham do so right? And the, F, and the FA, I knew that was going to happen. And the FA, he just, he needs to go to the bathroom. And what have you seen the Tottenham Academy do so right and the FA do so right, so club and country do so right, that set these babies up for success? Well, at, at Tottenham, they have uh, who I deem to be the very best youth developer in, uh, in the world, and John McDermott. Uh, he is a tremendous coacher of the coaches. He's a tremendous, a tremendous coach, uh, coach for the players. He uh, demands... Uh, incredible amounts from the players and his staff, but he does it in a way where you don't want to let him down. Um, I very rarely met a player who didn't want to do well for John. Huh. Um, I very rarely met a player that John didn't want to do well for the player. It, it was a an implicit it, trust. There's it, like a covenant. It was, it was a remarkable, remarkable thing to be involved in, and uh, I consider myself incredibly fortunate that John opened the door to me. I had four. Uh, for tremendous years as a player, but what people probably don't know is I also coached, coached most afternoons and evenings at the academy, and John um, really opened up, opened up his uh, wealth of knowledge to me. You know, he, he told me from day one, just take off my ego helmet, put it to the side, because you're no longer a player, and it's a completely different scenario being a coach. Um, and from day one, I, I, I really liked it. The second Mauricio Pochettino walked through the door, and we're roughly the same age, and to see how incredibly bright and gifted uh, he was as a head coach. And then he also let me in to sort of his secretive chambers as well with his staff. And it was an incredible learning curve. All while I was doing that at Tottenham, I was also doing my coaching licenses at St. George's Park. Which is so the I'll, England National Training Center. Correct. Which is, so I was able to see exactly what England were doing to revamp their entire setup. And it wasn't too dissimilar to what what happened in Germany when, uh, when the German FA and uh, the Bundesliga got together and wanted to make some changes. Um, you have to give a lot of credit to Gareth Southgate when he was the under-21 head coach. He, um, he made a lot of inroads with a lot of the championship clubs, the League One clubs, the League Two clubs, and the Premier League clubs to try to get their players more playing time. He tried to forge relationships with all the, with all the clubs so they would release their better players because at the youth levels, you didn't have to release yeah. their players. So he started to get that. They started profiling the players from position to position. And all of a sudden, you see this, these England teams winning at the 17s, the 18s, the 19s, the 20s, the 21s. Um, and it's pouring over now into the senior team. And you're going to see England be very, very good for years to come. Whether they win a World Cup or not, I'm not sure. But you're going to see them in the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the finals of every age of competition that comes for at least probably the next 10 years or so, unless, or unless they employ someone that really messes things up. But they have such a good thing going with so, a... Uh, so, so, Brand, you literally had a front row seat at the development of Harry Kane, Deli Ali, Kieran Trippier, yeah. Danny Rose, Carl Walker... Yeah. just goes on and on and on. Well, I played with Kyle also, and uh, he came on loan at Aston Villa, so I played a year with him and then uh, played 
uh, four more with him, so five years in total. Uh, played with Ashley Young as well when he was a young player at uh, Aston Villa, and then Harry Kane was still in the academy when I started coaching. And he was Talk playing. to us about Harry Kane. Talk to us about what Harry Kane, you told us backstage what Harry Kane was like as a young man at Tottenham. He, <laughs> he was actually a chubby little kid. Uh, yeah. Um, again, nothing like you. <laughs> Um, no, Harry, 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 was, uh, Harry was an interesting one because he had the, uh, the finishing ability li like a Robbie Fowler, like a Patrick Berger, like um, a Georgie Haji, these, some, of the, some of the legends of the game that, that I played with and faced shots against. And we were always worried that he didn't have the pace to make it to the next level. And everything that he has earned up to now and that he's going to continue to... Um, to earn, he, he worked very, very hard for. Um, he was the player that would, that would be taking shots after training. You would drag him off the training field. You'd go up into your coach's office and have a meeting, and you'd start hearing balls again out in the training field. He would have snuck out a back door, taken a bag of balls, taken a young goalkeeper, and started smashing more shots. You could not get him off the training ground. I think one thing I always said to the young players with the 19 national team, the young players at the academy at New England, and some of our senior players is, I've never played with a world-class player that didn't work at it. So if they're good at free kicks, it wasn't like they were born with it. They worked at it. They were born with a talent, but then they had to make it a world-class talent. And you can't just glide through and become great at something. You have to work hard at it. And Harry Kane probably works harder than anyone at Tottenham. Probably, I don't know some of the players that are playing with England, but I would assume he works harder than any of the other players playing for England. Absolutely. I mean, the, honest, the honest truth is I made a film about Harry Kane with John McDermott and he said the gift of Harry Kane is he never, as a youth, was like giving it on the plate. He was never the star. People were never giving him the free anything and he always had to grind for it and now he has become the star. He's never stopped. And I'm only saying that for young Americans who are listening tonight. Harry Kane has never had it easy. He failed early. There were other stars who were put ahead of him and he just wanted it more, worked harder, and every single goal, every single moment of success, Harry Kane has worked 10 times harder than everybody around him. And when, when you get to a lot of the young players th that have a talent, there always comes a time where they need the first team games, and a lot of times they're gonna get those games going on loan elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, when you, when you <laughs> called a Harry Kane into the office and said, we need to get you a game, he would say, when can I leave? How can I get there? Can I walk there? Can I take a bike? Can I drive? Can I take a bus? It was no issue. He just wanted to play the games. Mm -hmm. Then you look at some kids and you look at the entitlement across their face. Why would I go play there? I don't, uh, I don't want to play there. That's a League One club. Uh, that's too low for me. The, the training ground's poor. I have to wash my own kit. Well, with Harry, it was, when, when's the whistle going to blow? So, that's just a complete difference. So you spent, before coming to New England, after Tottenham, you spent some time as a youth coach with the U.S. men's national team set up. If you mm -hmm. could change one thing about youth development in America, if you could change one thing, what would that be? The amount of hours that they train. The, uh, you go to a lot of the developmental academy clubs and the parents play, pay absolute fortunes to be and they train two, three, maybe maximum four times a week. It's a seven-day-a-week job. It, it, um, if, if I had my way, the, the players would get even less days off than they get now. Um, you have to work to be great. And if you do the right things on the training ground, you can make the training enjoyable. But it is a workplace. 
Uh, your career is so short. Um, I mean, I was very Yours fortunate. Wasn't. No, mine wasn't. I know. I, but your career, gen your career generally is so short right, yeah. that that you sh that you should relish every single time you go out there and train. Every single time like you can play. Thing, Stop like it. Yeah. Your career. Yeah. Regis Silverman, like yeah. broadcasting, it goes like yeah. this. There's so many young prospects in American soccer right now. The Josh Sargents, the Weston McKinneys, the Tim Weyers in Europe, the Andrew Coltons, the Christian Roldans, until today, the Tyler Adams. By the way, did you see yesterday Cristiano Ronaldo tried to overshadow the first semi-final by announcing he was going to go to Juventus? And today, the second semi-final ruined by the fact that Tyler Adams said, I'm going to go to Red Bull Leipzig in the middle of it. You were a player who ground his way through the European leagues. I loved watching you. You played in England. You played in Turkey, where they slit a throat of a goat right in front of you before kickoff. <laughs> New England revs who are here, you're going to start slitting goats' throats before kickoff. Is that true that that happened? You might try that in Hartford, Bruce. Yeah, that, that happened. That was, um, but that was a cultural... Um, a, 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 a cultural thing that uh, that went on for good luck. Um, You're yeah. so good, Brad. What? You are so good. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. When you go to other people's countries, you are yeah. there to adapt to their culture. You're right. They're they're not going to adapt to our culture. And I yeah. I had a wonderful time at Galatasaray. I met some incredible people, some very very friendly Graham people in, in Turkey. Graham Sunis is another another head coach and a very good uh, friend of mine. He's still a mentor uh, of mine today. Mark Hughes as well. Um, who obviously wasn't in Turkey, but not to mention because you didn't put him on your little card that I had there. He was yeah. another head coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I chose to do like the really uh, uh, good coaches. No, but, but that, but that, no, it did happen. I, and I didn't really know what to do when, when I saw the blood on the uh, ground and I upset the captain of the team because I didn't put uh, a dot of it on my forehead. You didn't want the blood of the goats on your forehead. Well, it's not my culture. I, he, he did it. We won the game 3-0. All was good. <laughs> Not for the goat. And by the way, the, <laughs> the, the, the goat had been playing in goal before Brad Friedel arrived. Um, so, the, I bring out the goat story for a reason. I can't, oh. remember, I can't remember what the reason was. <laughs> but you didn't bring it up for <laughs> no, a reason. It's like the goat story. I, do, yeah. I think Diego Fagundes would score even more goals if a goat was sacrificed. It would be... Is Diego's here? Is he really? He's one no, of my favourite players. No, it's Diego's year. Oh, it's Diego's year, to be yeah. candid. I adore that football. I love watching Diego Fagundes. He's one of my favourite MLS players in this world. He's a, he is committed to Uruguay, and I'm interested in young American players tonight. And I want to know, Bradley Friedel, between Europe, as you've just described, the grind, the culture shock, the, the crazy like realities that you forced your way through to excel as a goalkeeper between those sticks. And MLS, the comfort zone, as Jurgen Clemson used to call it. Where would you advise the young players to learn that? If young players are listening tonight, and they are, where would you say, given the choice between and that, between the non-goat and the goat, where would you advise them to go? Well, it's a it's a case by case scenario, but I think uh, you asked a question earlier. How is the standard of coaching in the U in the United States? And it's getting better and better. And as the standard of coaching gets better and better in the United States, then the comfort zone goes away. I think it's very important that you don't make players comfortable. 
You mm. don't allow players to be complacent, and if you create that kind of environment, the players can get better. Um, if you have an opportunity as a player to go play in the Champions League for Borussia Dortmund, that's very difficult to turn down, but you best make sure that when you go over to the countries, or you go over to Europe, that you get on the playing field. Because if you're going over to Europe and you're not going to get the games, then there are some wonderful environments here in the United States. So it's a difficult question to, to answer um, because it would be a case-by-case -case, uh, scenario. And there are a lot of players in this country that still are born and raised in areas that do not have very good academy teams, don't even have professional teams in their area. So when they grow up, go through the developmental academy, then maybe it is best for them to try to go abroad because they might not have a direct avenue into a good MLS academy structure with a pathway to be a professional. Oh, it's a wonder to hear your words tonight, Brad, because to me, you are truly one of the great servants and ambassadors of the game in America. You're a man who I watched with wonder, we both did, yeah. between 1992 and 2005. You're also a man who has planted an American flag on some of Europe's most hallowed footballing grounds. When all said and done, and you're old, and finally bald. When it finally oh, goes, yeah. when Fi you finally no, lose your hair. No, no, I happen. was bald when I was young, so that went long ago. <laughs> 57. <laughs> what, what will it take for you, Brad Friedel, to be satisfied with the state of the game in this country? I don't think I'll ever be satisfied. That's just one of my maybe strengths or one of my weaknesses. I, I, I'm, um, I'm constantly looking at the next game. I'm constantly uh, looking at the next, uh, the, the next win, the next training session, the next, as I was waiting to come on here, I'm watching New York, the New York City game and the Chicago game. I'm, um, you also asked the question, what's it like watching the World Cup? I, I have it on, but the sound's off. Most of the time, I'm watching some friends play, but we're trying to win games um, with New England. So I constantly try to test myself. I constantly try to test my staff, and I, I most definitely try, try to uh, test my players uh, all, all the time. So um, maybe I'm a little cranky and grumpy for it sometimes, but I, I'm not sure if I'll be completely satisfied, because even if we win a World Cup, I'll, I'll want to watch another one. Like, yeah. that's, the, that's how I'm built. Even if we win a World Cup, God, I, I gotta say, I love hearing those words from Brad Friedel's lips because that is a man. That is a man who knows. Even if we, America, win a World Cup, David. ladies and gentlemen, can we hear it for our favourite cranky and grunky, grumpy, most remarkable gent, your manager of the New England Revolution, Roger's hero, my hero, Brad Friedel, a great American. Brad Friedo! Really appreciate it. Love it. Love it. There he is. It's with your family. Oh. Brad Friedo! Can we hear it even more for Sue Friedel, Brad's mother, who's here? Sue Friedel! Oh my lord. Oh, the, Sue Friedel. The mother of a great American. Valerie Bennett can say that too, but she doesn't like hearing it. Oh, I won't hear a word said against Val. We'd love Val. Okay, Rog, in just less than 86 hours, 
It's the World Cup final, Rog. Who gives a crap? No. I can't wait for the World Cup final, Rog. Preceded a day before by, let's face it, the big one, the third place game. England versus Belgium. This time it's personal. <laughs> Just read Winston Churchill's speech. We'll fight them on the beaches. Read the whole first half of that speech. It's about Belgium letting us down horribly. Okay. It's I gotta time. say, Winston Churchill didn't care about a lot of things, but my God, that guy cared about third place World Cup yeah, games. Yeah, King Leopold. Hmm, King Leopold. Okay, Rog, it's time to take a prophetic shot of Jägermeister. Find out what's going to happen in these games. What is your Jägermeister telling you, Rogelio? Can I You've say, drunk it all. No, no, these Jägermeister, unbelievably, produced two bottles. Hold yours up. They're like an octopus. They, pre they predicted the French-Croatian final with these <laughs> Amazing. covers. Unbelievable for a German um, liquor. <laughs> Very charitable. They knew Germany were going to be crap. Um, here we go. Oh, my Lord. I still can't feel my toes. That was for the third place game. I'll get to that in a minute. Oh, God. Um, that was as bad a decision as John Stones to switch off from that second ball. My Jägermeister, the first one, <laughs> tastes of Hugo Lloris. And I, I adore that man. Hugo is one of the most intelligent men I've ever interviewed in football. Here's a, are there any Spurs fans here tonight? That's Brad Friedel. <laughs> Brad Friedel spreads his love around so many clubs. It's only Everton he never played for. To be honest, Hugo Lloris is a remarkable leader, and he's had a wobble of a season. A, I don't know how, how you've done slow French. How do you say wobble of a season in French, David? Uh, wobble. <laughs> De la saison. He's had a loss of form. He's had a lack of confidence for both club and country. I'd hoped it would come to haunt them for country, but it didn't. Um, he became a borderline liability down the stretch of this season. But when others have tired and wilted in the crucible of World Cup play, he has stepped up. He's had a tournament of wonder, Hugo. So I want to raise my Jägermeister to a man who has resummoned belief. He's erased doubt. He's triumphed, and in this game, the final, I see him making key saves. France, I predict, winning 1-0 to a Dejan Lovren-owned goal. <laughs> You've got to get your kick somehow, right, England? And in the big one, Belgium will win 5-1. <laughs> Belgium's reserves, South England's reserves. I've never been more convinced that Lloris is going to let one through his legs, and Croatia are going to win it. Um, my maestro of the day, Rog, I'm not going to overthink this. He's been... Well, I'd better drink it first. OK, yes, my maestro of the day, tingling? Rog. Yeah, it was good. A man we talked about earlier, a man whose heat map, unlike our heads, Rog, has absolutely no problems <laughs> in any sector. N'Golo Kante. <laughs> Chelsea's N'Golo Kante. It pains me For now. to say it. But his engine will drive France to victory over Croatia in the third place game. I like Marcus Rashford, little baby Rashford, Rog. He brought a little spark today in his very clean white kit. 
I see him in the 11 against Belgium, getting on the score sheet a couple of times. What do you think, Rog? No, you think 5-1. Okay, this has been a night. I don't want you to be negative to end the night. This has been a night of nights, Rog. We're going to continue it at Grafton Street Pub on Massachusetts Avenue. Come, come and have a drink with us. Come and give me a cup. Come join us for Rog's 15th second beer of the night. By the way, all we know is that you guys understand the power of the great Irish week. What do you want me to do? Give a good night toast. Read page 26. <laughs> Does someone want to come up and read page 26? Because here's what it says. Before we go, and this is actually true, I want to thank a GFOP, Jake Wagner, who was a crazy man who signed up for this bonkers tour of America that we've done. And he's parachuted into every stop to sell our books and our merch. We wrote a book. We predicted England would win the World Cup. We did? No. No. Just trying to sell it. <laughs> it's like the Mormon Bible. It's factually mildly true. <laughs> it's but good. very popular. It's accurate on your childhood bedroom and it mud. Is. Pretty it much is. everything else is rubbish. It is. Um, it's very good. I've got to say, Scientologists will find it very realistic. Um... Stop, I'm going to give this book to you, the person who gave me my hat back in a minute. We loved writing it. We love your responses when you read it. We love the bookstore who've come here to sell it tonight. Can we hear it for Harvard Bookstore? It's the closest Dave and I will ever get to Harvard. Because clever people can get into Harvard like Jared Bloody Kushner. But they don't allow balls in there. Getting back to nice things... <laughs> Jake Wagner, go and buy his crap because I've got a bar mitzvah to pay for and you can help me. Um, I also want to thank our, in all seriousness, I want to thank our remarkable team of producers who've run and gun across this country with us to celebrate this World Cup. Our goal was to make Americans have the opportunity, despite the fact that our men did not qualify, to have collective memories together, enjoying themselves en masse with other Americans. Thousands of Americans have come together around our crap, which is genuinely mind-boggling. Some of those memories were not traumatic ones. And I want to raise a beer tonight. Can we raise a beer to producer J-Dubs, who's oh, in the back? There he is. Look at him. You can see him. They've got a little light on him. He's just weeks away from getting married. Days. He's got an Ipswich Town cake topper, which is ill-advised. Also want to thank producers Rachel, Justin, and Bradley oh, Feldman. Justin. We are forever indebted, right, David? Yeah, and to John Johnson, of course, Rog. We're going to celebrate the final of the Copa das Copas at our Budweiser Live FIFA World Cup final viewing experience. That's this Sunday, July 15th, at the Altman Building on 18th Street in Chelsea. Uh, not the London Chelsea in the New York Chelsea. Featuring great GFOP, Rog, Charlie XEX. And uh, Megan Rapinoe. Charlie Adams, pen name. Charlie XCX and also Megan Rapinoe XCX. Attendance works a little different than the rest of the tour. It's free, but to attend, you have to RSVP at BudweiserLiveNYC.com. RSVPing does not guarantee entry. You then have to be one of the first 700 people to show up in order to get in. But let us remind you, there will be free Budweiser and lots of it. The event not, starts at 8 a.m., so please, please get there early. We also have a live show in Atlanta, Rog, at the Tabernacle. 
on July 30th. Tickets are available on meninblazers.com. Wacker Flacker, another great GFOP. It's a, he loves the pod, Rog, has always loved it. He's among the guests. I crap you not, Rog. Bring us home. Here's what I'll say about tonight. I don't know if you've noticed, I've been a bit low. <laughs> Is that why you left halfway through the show? <laughs> no, I needed the crap. Like Jason Punchin, he craps when he wants. He craps when he wants. Roger Bennett. I didn't need to crap. I needed to just have a little cry, and I didn't want to cry in public. Because today, England lost. And at the final whistle, producer J-Dubs turned to me. At the final, like dead on the final whistle, he just turned to me and he goes, in many ways, it feels like the World Cup's over. <laughs> and I just want to say, it's an incredibly Anglo perspective. It's one that is so myopic so small-minded, so offensive to all of our listeners in France and Croatia. All four of them. It's also 100% correct. So I want to say this. Thank you, World Cup 2018. You've been the best I have ever seen in my lifetime. My favourite day of you was June the 13th when the United States, Mexico and Canada, were awarded World Cup 2026. <laughs> which is ultimately your greatest legacy. And I want to raise my glass to all of you. And by all of you, I mean everyone listening to this pod and everyone in this room tonight in the great city of Boston. And I want to say this. Bring on the Women's World Cup! The Women's World Cup! The World Cup 2019! Roll on, US Women's National Team! Roll on! And courage. Oh, Vanderpunk Rog. Oh, God love you, Boston. War pig! Who wants to sex Matumbo? I like snacks! Balls win, balls win! Take that, Gloria. Take Bald. that, Dejan bloody Lovren. Bald, balls sometimes lose. Oh, take that, Gloria. Avrigado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Rog. I love you, Davo. I love you both, Boston and Cambridge. Come and have a drink with us. Come and give us a cuddle. Courage! <laughs> <laughs>